0: Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed
1: Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share about the inspiring stories that led to the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way.
2: What's up, Helen? Hey, Ed, it is great to be here and to have a chance to do a podcast interview with you. Same here. First time.
1: Yes. Yes, I am very excited for this chance and this privilege to host with you, and also very excited about the opportunity we have to speak to. Erwin Entz, who was one of the first authors that I worked with during my time at IVP. Yes,
2: and I remember back in the day when I was in the marketing department that I had a chance to evaluate this proposal and get a chance to talk to Erwin when we didn't know if he was going to be an IVP author or not. So it's really fun to be on this side of things now, years later, and get a chance to talk to him about his book.
1: Yes, so we hope you all enjoy our conversation with Erwin Inz author of The Beautiful Community. We are excited today to welcome Erwin Entz to the Every Voice Now podcast. Welcome, Erwin. Thank you,
3: Ed. Good to be here on this excellent podcast.
1: (laughs) Yes, and this is a special treat for me, and you'll find out why later, but I'm just very... Grateful to have this time with you. i glad you could be here with us. To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal backstory, you know, like where you grew up, what you do for a living now. Yes.
3: I am a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I describe myself as the son of a migrant and an immigrant. My mother came to New York City in 1952. As part of the Great American Migration, mass exodus to Black Americans out of the Southern states and came to Harlem. My father immigrated from Trinidad in the early 1960s and they met in New York and here I am. <laughs> so I'm all things formative in terms of a New Yorker, sports teams, life, urban density, and all of that kind of stuff. I currently live in Washington, DC, and I am the director of a ministry called the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. And I uh, served as a pastor, as a lead pastor of a church we planted for about 10 years.
1: Let's go a little deeper on your ethnic identity journey. Sure. This is what we always do uh, to set, lay the groundwork mm-hmm. here on Every Voice Now. Tell us about your ethnicity and what are some key moments in your ethnic journey that stand out to you?
3: Well, it's, it's interesting, and I, I do like that question b- because, right, there's a difference between ethnicity and race, uh, a lot of overlap uh, in our context. But I certainly would identify uh, ethnically as African-American, even though as I said, you know, I've got a Caribbean side and my father's side of the family, that Trinidadian heritage, which, um, which I love as a part of me, but growing up in New York City, African-American community, large African-American family. My mother was one of six and we were all in New York. And so lots of cousins, aunts, uncles. Ethnically, I I, I will say I, I really became aware, and I'm going to use the word race here, of the difference racially. So 1970s, Alex Haley's Roots comes out. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little boy. I wasn't really allowed to watch it. But I remember a particular experience when I was on vacation with my family. I was almost 10 years old. I was down in uh, Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And we were at the hotel in the pool. My sister, who's 18 months younger than I, and she, she and I were, you know, we were playing. We had these little floats, and there was another boy in the pool who was white. Uh, but he asked us if he could play with his, uh, play with our floats, and I said, sure. You know, we can. You know, mom and dad said, share your things. Right? And then I asked if I could play with his float, and I just never forget. He said to me, he said, no, because you're colored, and. And I just, I mean, I was almost 10 years old. I had like, I I never had that kind of experience. I was just confused. <laughs> what, what is that about? And I had to have the conversation with my mother. So this is like coming to a sense of an ethnic identity formed in terms of difference with others, right? And so for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll make this short, of, I, I do need to include this. Although I was raised in a Christian home, I began to reject the faith during my teenage years, and I went to school to study electrical engineering at City College of New York, which is in Harlem, and there I became a part of an Afrocentric organization called the Sons of Africa, and through that process, I began to actually view Christianity with a, a lens of hostility and deepening, kind of centering my ethnic ethnicity as the core of my being—that's what mattered most. My blackness, my Africanness, uh, and so that's part of my journey, which I'm sure we'll be able to kind of talk to, talk, talk about, and as to how it relates to what I've written and getting to this place of focusing on beautiful community.
1: Well, speaking of what you've written, you are, of course, a published author. That's what I was referring to earlier. I'm excited to have been one of the editors to work on The Beautiful Community, which is a beautiful book. It was released last year and has been doing very well. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of your pursuing the dream to be an author. And what was the moment that you began to think about writing this book?
3: It really, it was birthed out of my pastoral ministry and work in my Heart for what I call the ministry of reconciliation, ultimately, which is what beautiful community is, is about, and wanting to see the church reflect its community in all of its diversity, wanting to see the church really lean into pursuing unity and diversity, love across lines of difference in Jesus' name. A friend of mine recommended a book that asked some key questions. That I, was, that I would take notes on and kind of come back to, to say, should I really, should this, should this be a book or am I writing like a uh, an article, <laughs> right? Those kinds of questions I was asking. Personally, the question uh, self-doubt, uh-huh. <laughs> as much as I loved what I had done in my dissertation and thought, do I really have something worthwhile to say <laughs> that would benefit others, benefit the church. You know, I, I was a pastor and I would anybody, who's gonna, who's gonna listen to me, you know? And so it wasn't until, you know, 2018 toward the end, and I had in I had served my denomination in pretty substantive ways. So I became the first African American moderator. Of the of the Presbyterian Church in uh, in America in in 2018, I had helped um, lead our denomination, our overtures committee, when we did a corporate confession and repentance for sins committed during the civil rights era. Following those things, there was some interest in me <laughs> as a potential author.
2: You've had the benefit now, Irwin, of have having had almost a year since your book came out. So I'd love for you to think about this year as a whole and identify what's Mm. been your favorite part of the whole journey of publishing a book. And did anything surprise you along the way?
3: Okay. So let me just say this first, Helen, this is a point of personal privilege here in the, uh, in the podcast. Uh, My first call with IVP was with you and Ethan McCarthy after my book proposal and your excitement about my book proposal, just kind of put me on cloud nine. It really was a, a strong encouragement to me that there was something worth writing here. And so just Aww. saying thank you. Oh, <laughs> so, Irwin. So, oh,
2: my goodness. Well, I yeah. remember when you're proposal came through we were so ex- not just myself and Ethan, mm. but our whole team we were so mm. excited about it and felt like we hope we have the privilege to get a chance to work mm. with Irwin. so thank you for yeah. accepting our our, yes. our acceptance
0: <laughs> and
2: being willing to work so with us oh that's wonderful to hear So uh, now fun.
3: to your question yes yes sorry for that, sorry for that no
2: that was delightful
3: um, I've been I've been amazed over the past year at how the book has been received so well. You know, some some pushback, a little, some some questions and critiques, and that's fine. But I desire to write out of a pastoral heart that cares for the church and for the church to continue growing in health in this pursuit of beautiful community, and so what's really been encouraging is that the people have, have really just found the book helpful a helpful resource for this conversation around race and justice and you know the, who knew when we published you know last summer that the summer of 2020 was was going to be such so such an intense time in our country and in the church over the issues of race and justice. And so I've been just kind of pleasantly surprised at how overwhelmingly, and I mean, even up to a few weeks ago, I having a conversation with some people. I was back at our general assembly in St. Louis and, and several pastors and church leaders are just kind of sharing how they've been using the book and how it's been so helpful to them in, in having this conversation with their congregations and and their, and their leaders.
2: You're being very humble, so I'm going to go ahead and start to open this topic up a little more. Your book received amazing recognition, Mm. I think. (laughs) It received an award Mm. from the Gospel Coalition for a first-time author. It received the Outreach Magazine Racial Reconciliation Resource of the Year. So you're being very, very, very humble, but I'm happy to brag on your behalf. (laughs) Those those are amazing, amazing accolades. Of all the books that were published, There. are are a number of people who've written on this topic, but at the same time, your voice is unique, and we like thinking about every person who comes on this podcast mm. as having that uniqueness. So I'd love to just ask you, what is it that your unique voice offers that no one else can offer?
3: Well, I think a couple of things. I do think my experience of coming to faith in Christ out of a very overtly racialized worldview set the course for my heart to pursue unity and reconciliation, right, in in Jesus' name. So, it's what gave me certain lenses coming to faith and looking and seeing how the Bible uses primarily familial language to talk about the people of God. And so, I start to say, wait, family, and it's and it's naming nationalities. It's na- and I said, wait, I don't see this wor- working out in the local church context. So this, my personal experience, bringing me to have this kind of passion. Um, and I think that this is not unique about me, but particularly where I am. So it's not unique that I am a a, a, a black. Christian man who is ministering, serving in majority white Christian space, right? There's another guy on this podcast who wrote a book about that, you know, a few <laughs> yes, years <he> ago, <laughs> 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 right? Um, so, right, that's not unique to me, but I would say being in a Presbyterian denomination that holds to uh, covenant theology in a reformed space. And seeing how much the doctrinal commitment in covenant theology should be leading us into the pursuit of beautiful community. That when we're not doing it, it's because we are not robustly living out the implications of what we say we, ha- we believe and commit to in terms of our understanding of of the scriptures. And so this kind of uniqueness, if you will, of being a Black Christian man in a reformed context, who being able to see the documents that we hold to as leading us in a particular direction. And I get to say, can we just live out what we say we believe?
1: Well, it is such a powerful statement. You, you paint such an attractive picture of the body of Christ and who we should be. And at the same time, you're very honest and transparent about our issues as a, as a church. So thank you for giving us this opportunity to really work our way through some of our mess in pursuit of that beautiful community. We need to take a quick break. But when we return, Erwin will do a reading for us, and we'll talk more about his book writing process. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Myla, it is incredible to me that IVP is about to turn 75 years old. Do you believe that? That's amazing!
0: I know. That is amazing. I mean, considering that so many book publishers have come and gone during that time, and so I'm so grateful to be part of such a long-standing legacy.
1: Well, it's a testimony to IVP's commitment to publishing quality books, not to mention books by a diversity of authors. And this has been IVP's M.O. for the majority of its history.
0: Yeah, and we keep finding more voices of color to highlight each and every season. And so visit everyvoicenow.com to find out how you can get a great discount on today's featured book and many more. Welcome back to the Every
2: Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, and now it's time for our Behind the Word segment, where mm-hmm. we hear a reading from our guest today, and then we're going to find out more about what went on behind the scenes of writing that portion. So, Erwin, what will you be reading for us today from your book? Uh, I will be reading
3: from the uh, from the end of chapter five of the book, and the chapter title is Your Beautiful Crown Has Come Down From Your Head and this this part is about how do we get out of the ghetto? I call our polarized church life, ghetto, ghetto living. So, uh, so here we go. How do we get out of the ghetto? Well, what's the solution to so much brokenness? Here's the quick answer. It's nothing short of the blood of Jesus. It's in the community of the redeemed that we should see the dividing line of hostility broken down. What does this mean on the ground in our day-to-day lives? It means you have to walk with humility. You have to know that when we're talking about and engaging the issues that still divide us in this land and in the church, your thoughts are informed by the ghetto that formed you in ways that you're simply unaware of. And we need to be shaped and reshaped by other brothers and sisters in the Lord who come out of different ghettos If we're going to learn to love well and strive for justice and righteousness in our communities, I used to say to the church I served that God was giving us a particular kind of grace as we pursued cross cultural living. I knew that we would regularly offend one another because we speak different languages. That is, we come from different ghettos. When we offend one another, that grace takes the form of asking ourselves, why am I offended? Is the heart of this issue really about my preferences and desires that have been shaped by my ghetto? Would the Lord have me to die to this for the sake of unity, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? What I'm about to say may not be popular, but in America, the greater burden of dying to preferences is borne by those in the majority white culture. Among the many points we can make about America's founding We must include the establishment of a white cultural normativity. Its existence has made the norm for minorities in America to embrace discomfort in majority culture contexts, an experience no less true in the church. As I mentioned earlier, we have no idea the depths to which our expectations, desires, preferences, and predilections are informed by our ghetto. When your ghetto is the norm, your default position is to expect others to conform to your way of being. This is the elephant in the room because the default perspective, even among people of color, is that of white norms in racially and ethnically diverse church contexts. Dr. Corey Edwards likens it to adding rainbow sprinkles to a dish of vanilla ice cream. The vanilla ice cream is still the strongest flavor you experienced. I experienced this in diverse churches where I worshipped, and in the church I pastored. This is why I say that there is a particular need for white Christians to develop a deeper cultural self-awareness and a willingness to die to maintaining some of those cultural norms for the sake of pursuing unity in diversity. We must realize that getting out of our ghettos isn't free. It'll cost you. You'll have to examine your preferences you'll have to regularly embrace being more curious and confident when you're in a situation involving diversity and difference. If you're part of the majority culture, you'll have to learn how to listen to and learn under the influence of non-majority culture people.
1: I remember when I first read the manuscript and stumbled over your use of ghetto there and just how striking that metaphor was. So thank you for sharing that. Could you tell us a little bit about why you pick this particular passage what it means to you
3: i pick this particular passage because as it's, as i write in in those pages that this is this is the elephant in the room we are tempted to try to engage these issues of cross cultural life and love or the pursuit of beautiful community with a notion of just kind of this equal playing field or color blindness or the goal is to forget about the past and the ills of the past and just move forward let's can't we all just get along kind of thinking and i chose this passage because that doesn't do us a service in the pursuit of beautiful community. We have to be honest about how we came to be where we are and the ways in which those truths of the past are still shaping our current reality and thoughts Mm -hmm. (laughs) and ideas.
2: In that short passage you read, I felt like there was... There was a, a challenge there for the majority white Christian reader that is impossible to turn away from. It's It was so clear and so vivid, especially some of the analogies you used. Ed mentioned the ghetto. I wrote that down. Your thoughts are formed by the ghetto that formed you. I mean, you can sit and reflect on that for quite some time because that's really, really striking and convicting, I think, for uh, anyone who really wants to take that sentence seriously, that short section you read, I, you could exegete that. I mean, that's, right. there, there's so much <laughs> yeah. there that I hope that the yeah. church continues to wrestle with.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Erwin, what advice would you have for other writers of color who are tackling this topic and the sort of inevitable pushback or backlash that they might experience and the critiques that they'll run up against? What advice would you have for them in terms of that
3: well i i and i think this is advice for writers in general right but in particular to to writers of color who want to engage a topic like this it's really what am i trying to accomplish and achieve what am i after what is what is the goal here i'm not trying to write in a way that i'm winning arguments i'm trying to write in a way that i'm winning hearts right that uh, that I really do want people to be able to see truths and receive it, and and, and maybe hear hard things, but write in such a way. I I, I go back to this term that's pastoral, that um, that I'm not just writing to attack, or I'm not writing just. In anger, <laughs> uh, even though I might be angry, right? I'm not saying don't be angry, All right? but I, I think that 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 fundamental question that that guided me, like, what am I trying to accomplish here with this? That so that does speak to the tone, that speaks to the use of of language. It speaks it speaks just powerfully into how I'm going to communicate what I'm saying. Um, so. Mm.
2: I love that phrase, writing to win hearts. That's, that's lovely. It's fabulous. Well, we need to take another quick break. But when we return, we are going to continue our conversation with Erwin Ince. And we'll find out a little bit more about his personal writing habits and quirks. So you'll get to find out more about that. And also how to get a special discount on Erwin's book. So stay right. tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast.
1: The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now, a new online, on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil.
2: The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place.
1: James Chung
0: What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley.
3: When we look at the injustice in the world, we're gonna address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're gonna talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people.
0: And there are so many more great teachers to learn
1: from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at SeminaryNow.com. That's EVN2020 at SeminaryNow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning. You are listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Ed Gilbreth, back at you. Today, we've been talking with Erwin Entz, author of the book, The Beautiful Community. And keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% off discount on Erwin's book at ivpress.com. But first, let's find out a little bit more about your writing habits and quirks, Erwin. Was there anything that you did that was a little bit sort of quirky or unusual or or weird that helped you stay on task?
3: That phrase stay on task is important. It's important to have deadlines, right? I'm so mm. grateful for the deadline because I've got a point that this writer's block cannot continue, right? It has to it has to come to an end. Sometimes I have to get up and walk around and talk to myself about what I'm trying to say. And I'll have the pad or notebook or whatever in my hand or my iPad. And I'm just walking my headphones are still in and I'm just walking around and I'm just talking. I'm just mouthing stuff. Just I'm in my own world. Cause I got my headphones or earbuds in my, in my ear. And so, so I don't mind looking a little strange to folks <laughs> when I'm trying to do that.
1: One more. What is the, single best piece of advice you've ever received in the area of writing.
3: Oh wow, yes, the single best piece of advice. Okay, and this was not directly given to me, okay? It happened in the process with IVP. Every book is not for everyone, but there's someone for every book. That became something that I just kept coming back to. Yo, I'm not every book is not for everyone, but there's someone For every book that includes this one. Right. And that just that just it didn't happen until because it's part of the like the videos and the things that I got from IVP in the in the publishing process. when I came across it. Uh, But it just it is it just stuck with me throughout the process.
2: Well, I have a few questions. So do you have any memory of any incident that happened while you were writing this book that made you feel like God is with me as I'm doing this project or something that just sticks in your mind as being a moment in the process of writing your book that was just unforgettable for whatever reason?
3: I I did a, it's not really a moment. It's something that was also kind of with me throughout. I wrote the, the tribute in the book to my father um, you know he passed away several years ago 2000, 2009. but he I, i'm his son not just biologically but in my in my ways <laughs> in uh the the way that I talk in the way that I smile my sits my jaw it all comes from him, and so the thought of how delighted he would have been I mean legitimately how delighted he would have been to know that I was writing a book it just sat with me throughout I mean you know
2: do you mind if I ask you to read that dedication you wrote to your dad because it was so it was so beautiful and I would love to hear you actually speak the words if you're willing
3: Yeah, Um, I'll read both the quote from Esther Lightcat Meek and then my dedication to him. Uh, This is Esther Lightcat Meek says, a sense of personal beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous self-giving gaze, the noticing regard of another person. And this is what I wrote. For Erwin L. E. Entz, from whom I received a sense of personal beauty before I knew what that was, I never had to look for eyes to affirm my beauty and dignity because his gaze always spoke a message of generosity, selfless giving and love matched only by the actions that confirmed the
2: message. What a legacy. I mean, that's mm. that's wonderful that you've had someone in your life who was able to give you that kind of gaze to encourage you all of your days. What a beautiful gift. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. As we wrap up our time together, Erwin, any last words of advice that you would have for up and coming authors of color who maybe are thinking about one day becoming a published author, or just have that aspiration and, and desire to do that someday? Um, yes, <laughs> please
3: write. <laughs> please write. It is true. What you write is not necessarily going to be for everyone but there are people who need to hear what you have to say. Um, your your voice is needed in these spaces. So,
1: right. Erwin, we have come to the end of our time together, sadly. But <laughs> But before we go, we want to give you a few moments to share with our listeners about any special projects you have going on right now and about how people can best reach you.
3: We try to put this pursuit of beautiful community into practice through the work that i do for the institute for cross-cultural mission we literally exist to try to equip churches and organizations with the competence for pursuing beautiful community and so so i certainly welcome folks to to look us up online to reach out for conversations about how we might serve you. We're not in the apologetics business of saying, we need to convince you to try to pursue beautiful community. But we're saying, if the Lord has brought you to a conviction and you're trying to figure out what do we do, that's the space we want to, we, we operate in.
1: Well, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, and we can also find you on Twitter. and Yes.
3: Instagram. Uh, I will, I'll, 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 I'll give you a fair warning. My Instagram is, uh, is faith, family, and fitness. I post a lot about my kettlebell training on Instagram. So (laughs) so, (laughs) maybe more about kettlebell training than the other stuff. So I'm on social media platforms. That's just an Instagram warning for
1: you. (laughs) Well, I I could use a little inspiration and motivation. (laughs) Me too, especially (laughs) after this pandemic. My goodness. (laughs) Well, thanks, Erwin. It's been great to have you on the podcast today. Just a blessing to spend a little more time reflecting on the beautiful, beautiful community that God is calling us to be. And now we wanted to share with everyone that you can find Irwin's book, The Beautiful Community, at ivpress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free shipping in the United States. So visit our site to get a great deal on Irwin's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, we'd be grateful if you'd share about it with your friends. Please review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: And we love getting your feedback, so get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now.